We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Art Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. It's nice to have a full house tonight. And part of the reason I'm happy about that is, Mike, in the last episode, you weren't on, but it, it we talked a little bit about how that felt like the death knell. That was a game against uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, who the Lakers are battling for a play-in spot with the San Antonio Spurs in the mix as well. And when the Lakers lost that game, not having the tiebreaker against them and not having the tiebreaker against San Antonio, it put it pretty close to out of reach. You know, the Lakers had to go, you know, good 5-0, and 4-1 and at worst in the last five games against a pretty tough schedule. And then they played this game today, an afternoon game against Denver that LeBron James did not play in. Anthony Davis did play and he gutted it out, but was definitely not 100% and gave what he could. And Russ played pretty well, but as is has been the case many times this season, just the team was not good enough. We did not have enough to to win the game. And and thusly putting even more of a a, a punctuation mark, I think, on this the season. The Lakers, the Spurs, their magic number is now down to two. So any combination of a Spurs win and or Lakers loss, and then that gets knocked down to nothing. So we're we're real close to on the brink, Mike. It seems pretty inevitable at this point that the Lakers will not even make the play-in game. So we could talk about the game today if you'd like a bit, but I think I'd want to start there is like, here we are, here we are just yeah. on right on the verge of the Lakers, not making the playoffs at all. Yeah. The magic number is two basically. So any combination of Lakers losses or Spurs wins over the course of the final eight, you know, collective games for the two teams. And so that, that is essentially an inevitability, right? Especially given what the schedule is. Now I will confess that for the first time, probably in, I don't know, two or three years. I didn't even listen to the podcast. So, and I always do when I'm off it. And I just, I, I completely unplugged from Lakers for one day. I don't blame you, brother. Yesterday, which is again, basically, you know, which is my job. It's the first time I did that in a long time. So I will listen after we get done recording tonight. Um, I will listen to it just because I always need to hear what you guys say. But um, I, the feeling walking out of that Pelicans game 
And again, today's was was more of a once we found out that LeBron wasn't going to play, you know, it, it sort of sunk that on that known quantity, I think, in deeper, because I think that was the feeling after the Pelicans game. But that really did symbolize sort of just the final straw um, of what a difficult season it's been. And I think the way that I described it in a text to you guys after the game, kind of the last thought I had it was they were basically in preseason type figure it out mode, but playing with postseason type energy. Yeah, and, we brought that up on the last pod. Yeah, that you said. Yeah, that. and that's what a crazy place to be in, right? At that point of the season, and that kind of tells you all, all that you need to know about how the season went. So, um, you guys certainly don't need to repeat any points that you made yesterday, and I, uh, I'm, I could give you some new ones from today, but yeah, the, the, I think the bottom line is that this, these next several games, I'm not quite sure what you even try to get out of it. Maybe some you know, a hope of some continuity heading into the offseason, but the offseason could end up being quite uh, unique as well, right? Just given how this season went. So we shall see Darius, but it was a, it was a tough one. And it was a, it was for me at least just a day to unplug yesterday. Yeah. And I'm glad you did unplug yesterday. Um, I think that a lot of Lakers fans have found themselves wanting to unplug more and more throughout what has been um, a difficult season. I think, And we'll get into we'll have plenty of opportunities to talk about the season at large after the season is actually over. But I did want to dive in a little bit to the Denver game just because I thought the game was, you, you know, the last pod, we called it microcosm. And that's because it really was a that game really was a microcosm of what the Lakers season was to me and and uh, to Pete, too. But this game to me was symbolic of a lot of things that the Lakers didn't have enough of during the season, both in good ways and in bad ways. I thought the Lakers, I thought Anthony Davis showed a ton of grit and fight and mm-hmm. want and desire. I thought Russ showed a level of effectiveness and ability to do the things that has typically made Russell Westbrook a special player. Um, especially offensively, just in terms of his ability to get to the basket, often being defended by bigger players, often having bigger players confront him in the restricted area and him still being able to be effective. Um, And sadly, the Lakers have not had enough of that this season in terms of that grit and fight and want. And then what the Lakers did have probably too much of this season was guys who were unwilling or unable to defend at a level that was needed in order to beat a Denver's uh, like a Nuggets team that is not whole that does have one of the very best players in the league but a player that the Lakers have in the past not necessarily controlled because I think Jokic has been great against the Lakers over the last several years but that they've been able to sort of manipulate things around him in ways that allow them to win basketball games and it's because Pete they had more defensive talent around you remember there was a game last year where LeBron was out and Anthony Davis had come back and he'd had this week or two where we blew out or we didn't blow out blow out but we we beat Phoenix by like 10 and we beat Denver in a game similar to this without 
LeBron and AD blocked uh, Faku three, I think, yes. at, at the end of the game. And but was and it was just one of those games where he'd been out for a while. And remember when he came back, he'd been kind of drifting for a few games. And then he just had this week where he just roared and was really special. And but when you when when you go back and watch those games, there was such a baseline of defense collectively that that. Anthony Davis, like I was watching him in this game, D, and he was just everywhere. I even texted you guys like oh, he's he's a defensive genius. When he's locked in, he will like dig down low. He'll swipe down low. And then when you bring it up high, he's going to block it there, too, while sliding his feet. It's just like it's this one attack after another where he's just such a special defensive player that if you have baseline defensive talent around him, Mike, then that just really accentuates all of it. But without that, it's like AD is plugging up all the holes in the boat. Well, of course, that's true. And then also he was in attack mode downhill to the rim tonight. There were, mm-hmm. there were not many possessions where he settled for the jump shot, which was a thing a lot last year, right? As he kind of got going and got his body going after the short off season. And then it was the thing earlier this season when the Lakers were trying to figure out spacing and Russ and yeah, Deandre Jordan inside. And you know, where was LeBron going to attack? And, and so there was a, it was a more passive AD on offense in, in part of that again, because he had to do so much on the defensive side of the court. But I just pulled up his shot chart from the game tonight. And guess how many field goal attempts he had in the paint? Just top of your head. Uh, I'd say 12. Yeah, I was going to say 12. 19. Wow. 19. And it's like, man, we've had so many of these these moments this year where – that AD plus that type of Westbrook. And again, Westbrook's not going to yeah. typically be that efficient, right? From the field where he started 10 of 13 and he ends up finishing 11 for 15. Um, but Russ, a lot of Russ's shot chart also was very paint heavy. And I think he was, yeah, he was nine for 10 in the paint. But just to stick on AD for a minute, Pete, you were waxing poetic properly so about his defense. And he had a couple moves where he did the crossover left behind the back dribble around a guard, Monty Morris. You're not supposed to do that if you're a big. Like It's like most bigs, you don't want to put the ball on the floor in front of a guard, period. Let alone just completely dance around and then then kind of shuffle, slide, finish off glass. So... It's these are the moments where it almost brings more frustration, I think, for the Lakers internally, where oh yeah, you just there has not been a chance where like sure, there have been twenty-one games where LeBron and AD and Russ played together, but never so where you saw all of the pieces combined. And the only thing that I'll push back on my own point to that is, well, maybe part of that is because of the fit. You know, part of that is because of Russ and LeBron, at least to some extent, and having the ball and, and even AD and just sort of having enough mouth, the mouths to, that need to be fed and can find a rhythm versus somebody just embracing a completely supplementary or complementary role. But I went on a couple of different tangents there with Westbrook, but the, my point I was trying to make was AD's offense was also absurd in a lot of ways. No, Mike, but to speak to that point, though, you don't build continuity without there being like, OK, if it's 21 games, can... 10 of those be in a row, right? Like can 12 of those be in a row? Because then you might get a better feeling of what works or what doesn't or how to figure it out together collectively rather than it be, oh, well, three games in in a row and then the third one, someone gets hurt and then they're out for a week or whatever, Pete. 
You compare that to, say, Denver's situation, right, is that they're certainly missing two of their best players as well, but they've gotten to play the same way with the same group of guys for a while to where you you eventually adjust, right? And where the Lakers, the nature of the Lakers season is that it's been one guy in, another guy out, and and so forth. So we haven't been one thing. This is, what, our 39th yes. starting lineup? We haven't been one thing at any point uh, for longer than a couple games at any point this season. Well, just to close it off here about Denver specifically, is Jokic makes the whole thing go and he's been the one star that's been there, right? And so, yes, not having Murray and Porter Jr. is a, is a death blow to them for their, for their championship hopes, right? But Jokic is one of the best players in the league and he's basically been healthy the entire season. Yeah, and 71, so, 71 games he's played, yeah. P- yeah, Mike, and he is the fulcrum of their entire offensive attack. He is what, like, he is their Steph Curry, right? Like, their their whole thing doesn't work without him. And everything is built around his specific sort of brilliance. And so, like, kudos to the Nuggets for being as good as they have been this season. Mm-hmm. And, kudo to, and kudos to Jokic because he's, again, proving that he is an MVP-level player. But when I reflect back on the Lakers and I look at AD sort of gutting it out and it does make me feel, Pete, like almost thank goodness this season is ending. Thank goodness mm. they don't have a chance because AD limping up and down the court the way that he did multiple times into the second half of this game gave me pause a little bit about what are the long term goals still for this team. And and so let's go to break here because I'd love to get your thoughts, maybe a little bit more on on AD, but in general, like navigating the backside of this and and what comes next now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, talk to me a little bit more then about, like, AD I thought was great and Russ was great, but this team was not again so like where does that leave you with well with everything and start wherever you want there with more more with ad or or revert back to team stuff instead yeah if i could start with actually frank vogel i think that that's something that his back has been against the wall so vogel over his three years now as lakers coach is a very good long-term planner and i've always gotten the impression especially seeing it happen over multiple seasons that 
he wants things hap- to happen in a certain order. And so the beginning of that is like the establishment of his defensive system. And he has all sorts of quotes at the beginning of this season that kind of kind of speak to that point. Um, but the way the Lakers season has gone that the, the way the Lakers season has gone, they've had to abandon long term for short term more and more just due to the injuries and due to also ineffectiveness. Like, you know, Mike was talking about DeAndre Jordan being in the lineup earlier. That was part of the reason why it's important to not make that mistake on the front end. Right. When everybody's still got the juice and still got the kind of level of enthusiasm and belief that they had, which is not to say that we would have been good or would have you know been a contender or anything like that. But it's to say that that the decisions you make early on impact what happens later on. But we find ourselves in a place now where, hey, you got to win games now. He's referred to our games recently, all of them as playoff games. And guess what? We're on a six-game losing streak. And in the process of that, Mike, he's made a couple of rotation changes, right? It's Avery Bradley. That's his dude, right? He's back in the starting lineup and it's been fine. Like, I don't think, like Bradley's been fine, uh, but Austin Reeves has been a DNP. THT was a DNP the game before. Um, And so what I've seen is in the context of the, the team in general is that Frank is very much in a place where like, I'm gonna do this my way with my guys. And that has been... That to me is has been the most interesting part of recently where it's like, I totally get that. I disagree with the choices, but I totally understand that a coach, when they're in that position, are is going to revert to what they feel, you know, to, to what they know best. And that's what I've seen over the team recently. Yeah. So whatever Frank Vogel has done, and this goes for that you just mentioned these last six games, some of them with LeBron, some of them without LeBron, some of them, most of them without Anthony Davis, all of them with Russell Westbrook, and then fill in your rotation pieces in different spots. Literally everybody else on the roster played at some point, sometimes in a starting role, sometimes in a key bench role, sometimes in a in a you know mop-up duty role. But it's that same connection to the lack of continuity there that I think that so Frank said something interesting the other day where he said he is generally a coach who is going to err on the side of being either boring or with his lineups or keep something the same for too long because he thinks that that enables continuity to evolve and then that basically can make up for even if it's a if it's a matchup problem with a certain group but they're not playing the, the right way offensively whatever it is he's always said he's wanted to stay that way and i think that so this season has not gone that way. Some of it has been by Frank's own choosing. Some of it has, and much of it has been by the injury circumstances, especially to the key guys. But it had seemed like a couple of weeks ago, they had found at least a certain style and it was going to be more Gabriel and more Johnson and sort of the younger guys playing. And then once AD was set to return and the Lakers were in those must wins, you know, Frank, he did go back to Bradley and Howard in the starting lineup and And like you said, they were fine. You know, that group was fine. They played pretty hard. The thing that lost them that Pelicans game was Ingram and McCollum not missing a single jump shot. And I I get they missed a couple of jump shots, but for the most part, they didn't. And they scored 60 points without scoring once at the rim. And all so the style that the Lakers played and, and which guys they chose, could that have made a difference, man? I don't know. Today it was Will Barton going six for seven from three. Yeah. You know, it's 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 just it's been the rock has just been going down the hill, like in a negative way, 
and they're even trying to put up a fence at certain spots to stop it. And it's just bashed right through that fence, whatever that, whatever that lineup was, whatever the rotation was, whichever the choice was, nothing has basically worked. And, and there are a lot of reasons for that, but you know, it's just been, that's been the consistent thing is that the different things haven't been working. Yeah. It's, it's not even like, to me, it's more of an observation on like what sticks out to me about this last part of the season is like, Hey, Frank's Frank's doing it his way to end the season, right? He's tried these other things and this is what he's chosen to do it. Like I said, D, it's not something that I agree with. Obviously I've been an advocate, but it's just from covering the team, what I find interesting about this stretch. But aside from that, not much. I don't find much interesting about these last few games. I like, I think that you get the young guys some run, but I think we've been in that place for a while now. This team, like we're talking about this team's we've, demise. We've seen everybody. <laughs> yeah, your, then, we've seen well, them all. Well, and it's not even it's not even that it's more of like a general overall sense of belief that we talked about coming out of the all star break that if they didn't have that, the other stuff like who they're playing and what their scheme is and what they're like, it matters, but it doesn't. Ultimately, if you don't have that ultimately underlying it, D, that and that's part of the reason why is that I know that those guys are, you know, those younger guys are going to run and they're going to, to play hard. But there's also it also speaks to a level of fit. I sent you guys a picture from a basketball reference, right, of. I sent you guys a picture about the on-off numbers from the team. And if you look at who has the best on-off numbers for per 100 possessions, all the best guys are the young guys and all the worst guys are the old guys that we've had over the course of the season. And so I think that that decision by by Frank to go back to what he's most comfortable with is at odds with what has worked best over the course of the season and at this point that doesn't really matter but i do think that it it shows the one of the biggest tensions that have led us to this point is kind of it's been a team at war with itself in many ways yes and no and so let me throw one more in because i agree with a lot of what you're saying because there's obviously a lot of good in there with like the belief and who has been successful and who hasn't and what groupings have shown more pro- more proclivity to like win portions of the game. Right. Um, the difficult thing is, and Mike, when you were talking earlier and Frank talking about erring on the side of sticking with something for too long in order to try to get continuity versus changing something up um, and how this season he's actually changed stuff up more than what I think any of us would even like. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there was a point earlier where both of you guys were advocating pretty strongly, like just sort of play, Let, just pick something, yeah, and go just with pick it. something yeah. and go with it, even if it's just for for 10, 10 games. But I remember listening to Frank pregame and postgame a couple of different times speak to that same exact point And one thing that he consistently fell back on us was, well, I would happily stick with something if one of these groups showed me anything consistently that they were worth sticking with to a certain extent. Like he said it in a much nicer and politic way because Frank Vogel is great at that. But Mike, chime in here. Well, this it's a classic chicken egg argument, right? It's a – so I think the theory that Frank has in throughout his, his career – as a coach is yes, that continuity has clear benefits and that's no, that's nothing that's akin just to Frank Vogel. You know, that's a pretty common coaching 
truth just in general and also a life truth. It's a metaphor for, you know, how consistency can help a lot of ways uh, in life in, in different forms. But I think that when because of the pressure of this season, because of the expectations of this season, because even up to the point of a couple of weeks ago, still in the back of the Lakers' minds of the players, and I'm not saying everybody, but at least enough players was, hey, we, we can still like we can still find some way to do this. So every single time that the coaches meet and they plan for that next team, they're sitting down and they're looking at the lineup, they're looking at who's available. And thinking, okay, well, this clearly didn't work last game. So let's try this and let's try to come up with the, like they worked their asses off. Let's come up with the absolute best game plan we can that minimizes the weaknesses of this team, which are many, and maximizes what some of the strengths are for a certain thing. And, but Darius, I do think, and, and Pete and I, again, both mentioned this. I still think that they should have just sort of picked something. And even if it was a couple of guys were in and out, then fine. Then replace them with some of the guys lower in the rotation, but still keep that same framework. So at least there's some, again, even if it's not working for a couple of straight games, but that's where I also have Pete, the same sense of sympathy um, for, for how easy it is to say that. And then you get in that room and you start to watch the film and you're just desperate to try to win one game. It, it's a, it's a thing that's been conflicting all year, but yeah, I, I think that at a certain point you probably just pick some guys and see how it goes from there. Yeah, I, I to be continued, and Lord knows we've had our share of uh, lineup discussions, but I think that your observation about the expectations of this season is something that we haven't talked about enough, uh, and I'd like to get to that on the other side of this break. Now, this is something that I haven't considered as much, which is why I kind of wa- want to talk it out with you guys. I'm I try to very much be a, like, in the moment, in the day, like this is the team that we have. Let's get the most out of them and try to give like a very day-to-day coverage of, of the team. And with the season coming to a close, my perspective is starting to try and get more and more big picture and global. And that idea of the expectations coming into this season, D, is really striking to me and something that I want to think about more because when we came into the season, I think back to the preseason, to our win this preseason with a very low sense of urgency. And that's something that our sense of urgency, I don't think, has been good for two seasons now. Now, we were a better team last year with more, with, with better players, with more continuity. But it was a complaint that I had the year before, too, is there was very little of that, like, we're going to kick your ass today. Like, remember the infamous, uh, shout out to, to our guy, Joey, the consider this a warning tweet. After the first freaking preseason game with Anthony Davis, that's good. what do we do in the first quarter of the first preseason game? He had like 17 points. We were up by a ton on the Warriors in Golden State and we were rolling right away. And there was just this sense of immediacy of, of urgency that this team came into the season with a level of expectations of themselves. Now, this is what it seems to me. I could be wrong with this, but a level of expectations of like, oh, we'll be fine. We just got to get to the regular season and obviously it's preseason got a, got a lot of older players but it's more about a mentality and attitude that I think the injuries even played into this as well of that idea of expectations of like oh well when AD comes back we'll be good when LeBron comes back we'll be good it's this like kicking the can of expectations down the road in a way where it's like no let's be good today let's let's be as good as we can with this 
half lineup that we have because we've got some injuries earlier in the season. And the back half of the season, we've talked a lot about the injuries and continuity and all of that. We've had injuries to the to the stars, but we've had a decent run of of health with a number of players, and we still haven't been able to establish anything solid with that. So to me, I, I feel like our sins of yesterday are we're paying the price for that and paid the price for that throughout much of the season. And a lot of it stems from that idea of expectation. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on just that whole idea. Expectations are a tricky thing because they need to be rooted in something that you already understand and that you know something about. So the fact that Anthony Davis and LeBron James might not have the right urgency at a certain part of the season, that's problematic maybe for the rest of the team because they're your leaders right? And you want them to sort of guide you a certain way. But you know which two players I couldn't give a damn about taking a random game seriously or not in relation to what it might mean to play an important game in May and how seriously they're going to take that game. The two players on this team, I worry not one bit about. Their names are LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So those two guys. I can be like, okay, they can navigate things a certain way. The guys who haven't won anything, right, or or who are not in a position to actually know what it takes to walk that path and that understanding of what our expectations are relative to experience in executing that thing to achieve the expectations, there's been a gap in that all season. And I think that part of what you're talking about, Pete, speaks to that. One of the things that I think about expectations, too, is that the expectations were always to win a championship and whatever sort of trivial thing or non-trivial thing that stood in their way in order to accomplish that could allow them to kick the can down down the road. But the further and further they got away from that idea that that thing was actually attainable, then saps their spirit more and more. Right. And so then. You're kicking the can down, but when you're kicking the can, you're kicking it downhill. And now, oh, well, shit. There goes the can. It's rolling away. Jump to it. Like, <laughs> right? Yes. And so suddenly, the thing that you think you're going to catch yeah. up to eventually is so far out of the picture that you no longer believe that the thing you were kicking down the road, you're going to get to it at all. And that's that part about the fight. Pete and spirit and belief. There's a point that, okay, well, I kicked this thing and now I can't see it. I kicked it so, so damn far. And now when you don't see it anymore and your goals no longer seem like they are attainable, I feel like that's when you get the real up and down nature of what this team has been, irrespective of injuries. The injuries have murdered this team. So the, the initial injury that I, I think we probably just forget about now, but remember LeBron had the rectus, abdominis, uh, abdo mm -hmm. rectus abdominal injury. So that cost him 10 out of the first 16 games. Mm -hmm. And that was, those were a lot of those games where at the time, you know, like the Lakers weren't playing really poorly yet, but they, well, I shouldn't say that they were playing poorly, but it wasn't, you know, it was so early that there wasn't that sense of urgency and, you know, AD was not playing great, but he was playing really well defensively, you know, and then Westbrook was Westbrook. It just was it was very uneven. And but the, the biggest reason is because 
all of what the plan had been for the previous couple seasons and even this season revolved around LeBron as that fulcrum on the offensive end, especially. And so LeBron comes back then, and then they have a, a stretch of games where they're still kind of playing the wrong personnel and we're waiting for a big wing to come. Ariza hasn't played yet, right? Of course, there's no none. And, but they, you know, they sort of, they play a little bit better um, for a stretch. And that's when AD goes down for the first time. Uh, and, and from that point on, neither one of them, to Darius's point earlier in this pod, neither one of them has played anywhere near more than like a, a game or two apart. Because the, the AD injury at Minnesota was in, in kind of like, I think it was earlier mid-December. And by that point, and since that point, to go back to my usual theme here of LeBron and AD, and then it matters what the rest of the roster is, but not as much. That, that again, is, I know Pete's going to have a, a qualm with that, but that still, to me, is the <laughs> bottom line of the season. And then everything else snowballs from that because because of LeBron and AD together, they don't have a system that's that's there for the rest of the guys to sort of play into it. A lot of it, it all goes off of LeBron and AD. The, the Clippers have a system without the without Kawhi and Paul George, you know, like you can establish like so the idea that your talent is what determines whether or not you can win a title or win at a high level, I absolutely agree. But there's something that happens between when you get your talent and when you get to the end of the season where that group of guys gets better. And that's something that happens at the middle echelons of your roster, at the back ends of your roster, just as they do on the upper ends of it. And that I don't see us, Darius, as being anything at all. I don't know what our identity is. I don't know what our starting lineup is. And I keep bringing that up to say that that is something that when you talk about kicking the can down the road, we had a whole new can. Why were we kicking it? You know, that they're well, part just the Clipper point, though, Pete, right? So the Clippers, when George went down in December and Kawhi hadn't played all year, you know, they were like 16 and 16 or something at the point or 16 and 15, right? Like right around where the Lakers were. So and then they, they've had they've had continuity since then and have now basically for the for the entire roster full of vets that goes pretty deep. And then they added George to it right now. But that that's not what the Lakers had. They they didn't have some continuity of guys and that they could just Frank could just install some sort of organization with in at that point of the season. Unless I'm missing it. The point I would make about the Clippers is that the Clippers have better players. They do. And I so I see a Portland Trailblazers team. Yes. That's just look, dudes off the street. You look, know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. I do know what you're saying. And Portland stinks. They're competitive. They're more competitive than what you would think they would be based off of the team that that they have. The Lakers are the Lakers have underperformed their talent. I think some of their talent has underperformed their ability. Right. And and so sure. I think those things are both related and I think that they are both mutually exclusive at times as well. And the times where they're related, you see it. And the times where they're mutually exclusive, you see it. And both of those hurt the team in their own individual ways in to make them be worse on any given night than what any of us, especially who have rooting interest in how good they are, would want them to be. Let me try one other point on on Coach P here, and this is a, like a legitimate question. So let's say in December, and by the way, Darius is laughing. I, th- that was not meant in any way to be a snarky comment. I don't know if it came out like that. You're laughing as if it was. It not was taken not. that way. 
Thank you. Good. Thank you, Pete. Darius is trying to wedge in the middle of us again, like Switzerland. Um, <laughs> no, see, now you're accusing Switzerland of being divisive. That was a joke. Yes, no, that was, you're see? right. That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. I'm with you. I'm just saying. So, Look at you. So, okay. You could have put in or a system. Let's say D'Antoni Ball, right? No. In like that- mid, early December. Just, just any system. Just put in a system. This is the system that this team is going to play with. From that point of the season, would that that would have somehow made a difference? Like if they no, had this, this isn't, you know. no, this isn't a system basketball team. You got to play the right guys. That's the thing that went wrong with this season in terms of like the the my big coaching gripe. What if the right guys aren't, not, aren't there? No, the right the the right guys on your team. The right guys are not DeAndre Jordan to start the season as a plan B to Trevor Reza. Those guys aren't good. They well, weren't I good agree last with that. year. Yeah, I if agree you watch tape on them last year, if you watched them last year. To any hey, degree, if you watch tape on them, we all agreed I, on that point. We I, we all had that discussion. I said that before the season started. I watched those guys on league pass last year. So don't start your worst players to begin the season. I I said before any before any of the results came in, I said the best version of this team would be the guys that if you lined them up on the baseline, and they raced toward the other end of the floor, that would be the best version of this team. Now. Is that a championship version of this team? No. But who are the guys that are the best plus minus guys on this team? They all fit the same profile. They're all young dudes that play hard and run up and down the court. Hey, I can see Pete in there with a whistle. Like, guys, run. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not like, yeah, yeah. Whistle. Pete, all right, right. Who, all right, who won the killer? All right, well, you're starting. You're starting. You're starting. So. So th- there, there is some of that. There is some of that to the high, the high school coach version of me. Look, we'll we'll get into more uh, of that down the line. But it's no coincidence that the dudes that have the best plus minus are the young athletic guys that like to run, and the dudes that have the worst plus minus on our team are the slow old guys. Yes. And I said this before any of the results came in this season. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Look. This Fair. is well paved road. Yeah, the, the, this is well paved road. And hey, Dar- one of the I'm reasons up why to the we bay, can Darius, do- are, you, are you coming? To, are you coming to the game? No, no, no I'm oh, not. I'm not coming to the game. I guess you I'm told not. me that before. Yeah. yeah yes, yeah. yes. It it's been a difficult time. You don't to, want me to for, build you don't want a schedule out. You do, so, so randomly, I was in I was in San Francisco today, and we went to a very touristy part of of San Francisco. And I had clam chowder, Mike, and I almost, I almost took a picture and sent it to to the group thread with just a a big capital BSE hashtag, yep. just to make sure that we were all on on the same page. Sadly, I do not think that picture would have made a difference in whether or not the Lakers won a basketball game. But but I did, but I was feeling the big soup energy earlier today eating some some clam chowder had some calamari and fries too it was very excellent it was very like felt very touristy in san francisco but to get back to this lakers point right about the lineups and and the players and sort of bringing it full circle back to where this team is now which is on the outside looking in and Plenty of mistakes were made. I don't think any of us or any logical person would argue against the mistakes being being made. There were plenty of things that threw the team into a position to make more mistakes than what 
they would have typically made and more than what I would expect Frank Vogel to make under prime situations. And in getting back to that expectations point, there was pressure for this team this season and everyone felt that pressure and earlier during the season some of the players who you thought would play better or that you wanted to play play better didn't and I think that they were feeling some some of that that pressure and as they got further and further away from being the team that they said that they wanted to be the ability to sort of channel and find themselves got more difficult and I think Frank deserves blame for some of the choices that that he made. I think the minds that put this team together with the roster, right? Pete's talking about some of the choices that the coaches made. Well, those choices were made based off of the people who were available right. to play at that time. And That's when we right. and when we actually go back to the start of the mm-hmm. season when THT wasn't available because he had a broken thumb and when Trevor Ariza wasn't available because he had offseason surgery and and then for that stretch of time when LeBron James did have an abdomen pull and THT still not back and Trevor Ariza is still not back. And then you're like, OK, well, what do we actually do? And so some of the positives of this season were born out of that chaos and born out of that crap crappiness. Austin Reeves showing that, oh, he's got some ability and Stanley Johnson off of the scrap heap like, oh, OK he can play a little bit and like, Oh, now there's a Wenyan Gabriel. And, and this idea of like, look at Malik Monk here and he can do these, these things as a shot creator for teammates and, and everything else. And, and so I don't want to make it seem like everything that's come out of this has been bad, but the ultimate goals of this season were so far under reached that it's almost impossible not to feel disappointed overall. And watching the Lakers lose this game today, Pete, with Anthony Davis doing his damnedest to win it and Russell Westbrook doing his damnedest to win it and just not having the horses and not having the continuity and not having the systems in place, not having that togetherness. It was it was hard for me to watch. It's easier to accept because I know how they got here, but it was hard to watch. And and being a Laker fan today is hard. It it is, and it's like I that said, I think that our total collapse, like this has been a total collapse season. In some ways, is an opportunity to abandon our ego enough to be able to be like, yo, everybody messed up. Everybody messed up. And the review of that will be a big part of this offseason. But tomorrow, we're going to switch gears. And I want to talk to you guys about the MVP race. And so we're going to get into that tomorrow here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. 
Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.